Well, hello and welcome to episode 457 of the Plain Talking UK podcast. My name is Neville Bounds and welcome to everybody that's watching us on YouTube or is listening to us as an audio download. Uh, in the show this week, we look at the demise of Virgin Orbit. Uh, we pay another visit to the Museum of Flight at East Fortune, where Carlos and I went a few weeks ago. And in the military, Armando discusses the EF-16 Hornet that crashed in Spain recently, but the pilot was fortunate enough to be able to eject to safety. Joining me this week on the show are, well, Matt Smith. Hello. Who did such a sterling job. <laughs> last week on his own but with a very good super substitute in the form of captain jeff i mean i mean you Which don't you don't get you don't get one that's there's there's no better super sub is there so I it's like, i mean you know I, I, on my own is not really true is it when you i mean you could put just you could put captain jeff in charge and we'd be fine uh, it would yeah. be it'd be three and a half hours long but it'd be fine uh, <laughs> uh, how are you nev you're right uh, yes, very well, thank you. Uh, just back from a week in the Algarve, which was very pleasant indeed, um, but not without its difficulties, which I'll perhaps talk about a bit later on. Um, but um, yes, we're just waiting for uh, Carlos and Armando to uh, to show up. Well, so maybe I'll, I'll talk about some of the uh, events that happened um, on my flight or before the flight and at the end. Oh, of the really? Shall I? <laughs> It's, 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 sounds quite sounds quite eventful. Uh, uh, yeah, let's uh, with the uh, as I say the uh, the guys are now joining us. Uh, they're a little bit delayed um, uh, from their dinner plans, basically, but they'll be with us shortly. They're just sorting themselves out now. So Nev, yeah, that sounds like a great idea. So you, it was the Algarve mm. that you went to then with yes. Mrs. Nev as part of a, a little a little jolly, was it a little holiday trip? Yes, yeah. and it was very nice. Um, but the first thing was that they had swapped the flight from Terminal 3 to Terminal 5 to, to Faro yeah. without you telling anybody. Luckily, I just happened to check a couple of days before, so I adjusted the car park and wow. all the rest of it. Now, people that know me hopefully know that I'm a, a polite young man and I, I don't <laughs> tend to lose my rag or be too sarcastic with people. I do give people the benefit of the doubt where I can, but I was extremely cross uh, during the boarding process. Firstly, I'd arrived with Mrs. Nev at the uh, Group 1 boarding board. I was right at the front. You could not get any further to the front, right. as it were. The 1A position. Okay, of course, like. yes. <laughs> um, and this lady just comes steaming part, literally almost through me, and says, I'm in Group 1. Mm. And I couldn't help myself by saying to her, and where do you think you're going? <laughs> As she barged her way through, um, was not happy about that at all. And then, just in case we, I wasn't cross enough, um, BA did their usual business of, oh, well, let's ask everybody that, that's got a, a wheelie bag to board first because we haven't got enough room in the cabin. Now, oh, no. this delays the boarding procedure considerably, mm. as you can imagine. Um, so we've now got, I nearly said something very bad there, <laughs> people who are older than me uh, right. not knowing what to do. Okay. And uh, we've now got 30 people with their carry-on luggage checking it all in oh, at no. the gate. And we've got the fella who is trying to organise all this, barking orders at everybody. Right. Um and, of course, that delays the flight. Once we get on the flight, I look above the, um, 
where the where the bags are. You know the uh, yeah yeah looking for the the cabin baggage area, and there's plenty of space. So they they checked in 35 cases where they they needn't have done that, um, <laughs> and of course these cases aren't that big. They're the, the small mm. sort of minimalist size ones, yeah, yeah. Uh, and they've told them to ch ch check them in. It's just mad, and this happened uh, on a previous occasion. Uh, I was going to Edinburgh, I think it was, and the captain comes steaming up the uh, uh, jetway, uh, asking what the um, what the hold up heck is. is going on. Yeah, uh, as he's back to Mrs. Slot. Yeah, uh, I bet. Yeah, absolutely. So, so forgive, forgive my naivety here, Nev. So in in this scenario, because like, obviously whenever I've checked in baggage, obviously I've had to go to a, a check-in desk and all that kind mm. of thing. So they're doing this at like the boarding gate, essentially. Yeah, but wow. they, they've they've got bags which are perfectly fine and legal in terms of the, the, the size and, and the weight and all the rest of it. And of course, this just causes a whole load of delay. And if I, I'm going to sound like a snob now, I apologise in advance, <laughs> but uh, people like me that spend an awful lot of money with the airline, yeah. uh, and the whole point of Group 1 boarding is you get priority boarding, yeah. I'm now waiting for 30 people in front of me um, to, to board the aircraft. Mm. And yet, on the way back from Faro, uh, absolutely no problem at all. They don't want right. you to check it in. It's the same airline, obviously different boarding staff and all yeah. the rest of it. Uh, and there's plenty of room. It's just... Ridiculous. So. Be intrigued to know. I mean, because obviously the captain is ultimately responsible for the actual aircraft. Obviously, once it's uh, mm. you know, once people are on board and all that kind of thing. But who has jurisdiction when when the passengers are still in the terminal? Well, I think it's the boarding agents, right. basically. Uh, and in the case of Heathrow, it's it's BA's staff themselves. Right. But I have to say, the gentleman that was organising it, and I'm putting that in inverted commas, <laughs> was a very officious uh, young oh, really? fellow. Okay. And uh, he really needs to go on a, a politeness course, because uh, <laughs> right. he, he not ticked any of those boxes whatsoever. Well, of course, um, if, you, if you get people's backs up, of course, they're not, they're not inclined yeah, to get uh, stuck and, into and I said to a couple of ladies that were about to check their bag, and I said, I wouldn't do that if I was you. I said, because last time I did that, um, I, we lost our luggage for three days. Oh, wow. Oh, God. Oh, <laughs> so, no. Oh, but, dear. So, uh, yeah, it just sort of uh, adds to the, um, adds the difficulty to the of getting on to the aircraft. I bet. I, I, bet. I, I certainly can't speak for, for, like, every airline, but the one that I used to work at, it, that was a very specific point of contention as to who takes the delay is it maintenance operations or the pilots oh yeah true i hadn't thought of that yeah because yeah. I, I get i guess delays are attributed like responsibility or blame for want of a better word is usually attributed to one of those parties well and you can imagine that the bean counters are very much tracking which department in the airline uh is taking the most delays. Wow. Okay. Goodness. Well, man. obviously, I've sent a uh, an email in. Uh, Quite. A, 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 explaining my uh, displeasure <laughs> at it all. Um, but of course, they they got me back in the end because when I went back to the T five car park, the battery was completely dead in my car, and I had to get the um, uh, roadside assistance. Oh, folks. No. So I got home at three in the morning. Oh. Uh, just to get up at four thirty in the morning to go and do our new office opening in Brighton for the company, uh, which I was delighted to do, but I was a bit short of sleep, so I was running on <laughs> caffeine for most of the day, and oh, I don't no. think I've fully recovered yet. So no, I bet. I appear a little um, j 
irritated, then I do apologise. <laughs> I'm not surprised. Uh, Sounds like a bit of a horrific experience. Well, as you've probably noticed there, our Armando uh, has joined us, which means somewhere around him, not a million miles away, there should be someone else who is usually on the pod- podcast. Are you there, Mr. Mister Stebbings? Yes, I am here. Hopefully you can hear me, Matt. I can indeed. If you could just turn your game down a little tiny bit, that would be very, oh, very helpful. Uh, we can do. Yeah. You're not doing... A, are you sure it's supposed to be that way round? Is it not yes. supposed to be... Oh, yes, right, I've okay. not done a Captain Nick. Oh, well, I was just wondering. Uh, is that all right? Or is that, do you want a bit more? Uh, I don't know. We've got a bit of a weird echo going on there, but uh, I'm sure it'll settle down as the echo, can- echo cancelling gets the hang of it. Uh, but, uh, yes, so you're in the States, somewhere very close to Armando, I believe. <laughs> yeah, just sitting across the garden from him. Right. <laughs> okay. <very good. laughs> literally, quite literally, he's there. Is he right? Okay. Uh, <laughs> love it. Uh, love it. So, um, w- w- what have you been up to? <laughs> what haven't we been up to? I think is the um, is the question. You know, from the minute I touched down here on Saturday, I literally have been nonstop flying, driving, flying, flying with a bit more flying on top. But it's all been fantastic. And in between the flying, I jumped out of a plane. Right, OK. I mean, we'll gloss over that bit and move on. The um, <laughs> It's uh, so fast. Yes, well, so yes, as, as you know, uh, obviously Carlos is there having uh, the time of his life, I think is the best way to describe it. Certainly. Uh, having an awful time by the sound of it. Um, it's uh, Nev, are you up for jumping out of a plane? No, definitely not. No, I've, uh, I must say, you know, the people that choose to do that, including uh, our good friend Captain John Hutchinson, uh, formerly of uh, the Concorde fleet, and he did that as, as well uh, over in the Isle of Wight. Um, and uh, he said it was one of the best things he'd ever done. Wow. But in the same breath, he said it was a bloody stupid idea. So. <laughs> Okay, it, it, I'm sure there's, you know, differences <laughs> of opinion about that. But uh, the people that do it, um, you know, good on them I they say, seem but, to uh, enjoy it and, I, I will uh, not be doing that no. so ha- having done it now Carlos do do we have a Dr Steph style addiction to it now are we desperate to do it again uh, Carlos is doing a quick technical update but uh, okay I can guarantee you that based on the smile he had <laughs> Yeah, he's probably going to do it again. Okay, right, fair enough. All right, so it's not the last time he'll do it. He'll probably be jumping out of Stuart's plane, I guess, now over at the uh, over, yeah. the, uh, over in Beckles here. Well, now but, he's got to take Gemma too, you know. Well, right, okay, yeah, good luck with that is all I'm saying. Well, on that, on is, that. is this a good time? I mean, aside from the, uh, from the skydiving story, because we're going to talk about that a little bit later, I think it's okay. probably a good time to talk about that. Guys, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you to sort of cut off and try and sort out your um, audio issues, unfortunately, because there's a really awful echo that we're struggling with a bit uh, here, so uh, I don't know uh, quite uh, whether it might be worth you guys sharing one microphone, perhaps, um, but... Uh, but yeah, we've got a bit of an echo uh, going on there that's that's uh, making it difficult for us to understand you. <laughs> um, uh, let, let's see. Uh, while, while we're sorting that out, uh, actually, Armando, we've got a couple of videos I think um, that we we have to to share with everyone. Uh, what's going to be what's going to be good to play first? Well, one of the adventures that we had was the Flying Horseman Ranch. And that led to a little bit of an adventure at the end of the trip. Um, so it's 
a little bit of a, I think, 20-minute video. So, if Matt, if you want to play that out, and then yep. we can talk about it afterwards. Okie dokie, let's go. All right, here we go. All right, good power. Get the tail up. Monroe traffic, Piper 56798, transitioning midfield, west to east, Monroe traffic. All right, we're recording. Hey! Hey, Carlos. Hey, Armando. Nice, what are we, uh, nice what are we doing? Oh, we're flying the Cub! Well, I'm flying the Cub and flying. I'm hands-free. And flying. And Armando's not holding on for dear life. Nope. No. I am essentially the autopilot at the moment. That's right. He's a pretty good autopilot. Like uh, Otto, Otto from Airplane. <laughs> yeah, so we are flying up. We just left more or less Concord, North Carolina, outside of Charlotte. We're going to fly up to the Flying Horseman uh, Ranch Fly-In. Uh, point the nose down just a smidge. Just a smidge. Coming down. Uh, it is a three-day. We're only going for two days, one night. Uh, Fly-in and camp. We'll take pictures and video, obviously, when we get up there. But, uh, yeah, they're going to have food, bands, barbecue, breakfast. Should be a bunch of vintage airplanes flying in. Uh, we are one of them. We're, this is a 1946. 1946. This, honestly, this aircraft is so, so nice. Apart from the fact it's blue, and blue is my favorite color. Um, yeah. it, it's just stunning. Stunning. For those of you who watch the show, you'll probably see Armando put pictures of the aircraft. The little cub on the show. But until you see it in person, you just can't appreciate how nice this aircraft is to look at. And it's, it's so well looked after. You would not expect this aircraft to have been from... 19, you know, 1940s at all. Yeah, it's almost like a warbird with uh, the way it's been refurbished. I didn't do it. The previous owner uh, refurbished the airplane, really restored it in 2012, I believe. And this is a pretty mint, nice paint job, new fabric. Uh, strangely enough, I think I've mentioned it on the show. It is an IFR certified Super Cub. So we've got a full panel, full IFR panel in here. And this is one of those days. Carlos and I had a good uh, risk management conversation before getting on the airplane. Clouds are uh, right around 2400 AGL uh, for the ceilings, which is fine because we're cruising around at 1,000 feet. And that gives us plenty of uh, safe altitude as well as uh, clearance from the clouds above uh, to maintain our legal VFR cloud clearances. But to be honest, it's actually pretty smooth down here at 1,000 feet AGL, and we're just going to go at 1,000 feet all the way up to Virginia and uh, land at a pretty challenging strip. We'll see if we can get some video of that. If not, oh, yeah. we'll borrow somebody else's video. Uh, but it's a challenging little airstrip, uh, grass strip on a slope surrounded by trees. But the best part is just going to be hanging around and camping with uh, people, like-minded people with tail draggers and vintage airplanes. Oh, yeah. Um, so we will, I suppose, check in from the Flying Horseman Ranch here in a couple hours. Yeah. Good job. I'm still hands-free. Hey. <laughs> uh, well, we are driving. Uh, we've both got our lucky underwear on. Uh, before we get to the in-flight emergency portion of the story, 
what did we just do? So we, we last check in, the last part of this video, we were flying up to the Flying Horseman Ranch. We were, yeah. Um, Carlos, do tell. I yeah. do this all the time. So yeah. what, what was your impression of the Flying Horseman Ranch and Flying. the community? It's, it's, it's like nothing you've ever been to before in the UK, for one. So imagine a huge field, a grass strip. How, many, how long? Uh, 2,200 feet. I don't know. That's like seven meters or something, Kelvin's. But we're not talking about uh, we're not talking about a grass strip which is level, flat. We're talking about a grass strip that goes like this. But anyway, got in. There was a number of aircraft in, already parked up. A lot of people were staying for the night, camping there. But um, all day it was like having a, your own personal air show with food as well, supplied by the family. And oh, just uh, someone in the back wants Fire. to service. <laughs> um, so yeah, we had. Uh, we had lots of lovely food while we were there. We met loads of great people as well. Yeah. We made lots of new uh, friends of the show while we were there. Which In was really introduced good. some people to the podcast. Yes, we did. Yeah. And well, the weather was the weather was the best. The weather was so good. You could not wish for better weather for the whole um, the whole event. Yeah. And it was dubious at first because the day we were supposed to go up on Saturday morning. It was 2,500 foot ceilings, but that turned out to be just fine. Uh, that gave us all our, I think we mentioned it on the previous video, but it gave us all the necessary cloud clearances, but it actually made it a little smooth going up there. Not a lot of thermals, not a lot of turbulent air, and we just flew up at 1,000 feet above the ground, all the way to Virginia. It was what, about an hour total flight? Yeah. Um, before anything, I guess shout out to the Landis family. Yeah. It, truly a family affair. Uh, the Richard Landis was the owner of the property who put this on. He and his wife own a Great Lakes biplane, open cockpit biplane, a Cessna 180, and an Aronka Champ. And it's their property. It is the Flying Horseman because they're actually horses on, on the ranch. And they had all their aunts and uncles, Dan was the one, uh, the son who we were communicating with yeah. uh, to coordinate logistics of going in there. This was just put on by a, a family for no benefit to themselves. Uh, the food was all free and included chilled, ice cold, chilled bottles of water. 24-7. Uh, 24-7. Uh, rented porta potties they had a movie night on Friday night. They played the Rocketeer. Uh, honestly, the, I would say the food, the people, and the impromptu air show were my highlights. Really amazing just to expose Carlos to the really tight-knit general aviation community. But by tight-knit, I suppose I mean you can be a stranger but you're only a stranger until you shut down your engine. <laughs> and then you're in. Uh, you're so, you can come over to these people's houses for Thanksgiving or Christmas dinner. Uh, that's how friendly everybody seemed to be. And uh, 
Um, you know, our neighbors had an RV RV six, six and an RV seven. Yeah. They were from. They flew in from New York, from from around the city. And then on the other side, our neighbor, our camping neighbor, was a, a Carbon Cub. I believe local, but it was just a really cool little community. I would say it was just fun talking to all the people. Yeah, we camped last night. Oh, under that? Under the trees in a hammock, which I haven't done probably for about at least 25, 26 years since I last slept in a hammock. But it was uh, nice, apart from that, the, the frogs. The frogs. Oh, fireflies. And the fireflies. I, I've finally seen fireflies in the wild. And at first, I did have to say, didn't I? I did think, what? what's going on in the hedge line? someone messing around with lights LEDs no fireflies and someone <laughs> managed to catch a firefly in his hand which is pretty damn cool all right that was another highlight was Carlos seeing fireflies for the first time and it was exactly what you would picture we were sleeping in the, with the hammocks it's dark and then as soon as the Sun went down oh, it was just the whole forest it was like a magical forest lit up with fireflies or lightning bugs whatever you want to call them and it really was just magical the, yeah. the moonlight was uh, peeking through the clouds the fireflies were all lit up and the only sounds were the occasional airplane that would buzz even at dusk uh, very cool though yeah it was very good it was awesome and, and again and again, like Armando said earlier, you know, this family laid on this whole weekend free. You know, they ask obviously for donations, which is, is cool. But all the food, the drink, the hospitality, it's free. Yeah. And then, so we took off this morning, uh, met up, well, we had breakfast because they provided eggs, yeah, bacon, this and pancakes. And our plan, because it was such a short strip, I had purposely, we, we had less than half tanks of fuel. So the plan was to pop over from this tiny little farm strip over to Blue Ridge uh, Airport, Kilo Mike Tango Victor, get some fuel there. Uh, funny enough, our neighbors actually followed us over there in the RVs. Um, we got some fuel, no issues there. And then on the way home, we decided to, just to take advantage of the winds, go up to 4,500 feet, which is pretty high for a good, yeah. Right. Usually I fly around everywhere at 1,000 feet. About 30 minutes into the flight, what did I, what did I say, Carlos? <laughs> uh, Armando said, from the flight deck, the oil pressure has dropped. It's getting low. And it was. I could see from my seat the oil pressure gauge and it had dropped from the green area into the orange. Into the yellow, yeah. Into the yellow, yeah. So something wasn't quite right and immediately Armando went into, you know, plan mode and uh, you instantly went on to, was it four flight or no? What's that you use? Um, yeah, I had four flight 
up for navigation, VFR navigation, similar to Skydemon if you're in the UK. And I knew our path on the way down there. And immediately, like Carlos said, once I saw the oil pressure dropping, and it was steadily dropping, it wasn't a fast drop, uh, but it was definitely going into the yellow and continuing to decrease. I, I believe that engine, the O235, the Lycoming O235 can operate at a minimum of 20 PSI on the oil pressure, but the bottom of the green was at 60 PSI, and we were, you know, dropping into the 50s, but there was a steady drop, and I immediately said, as soon as we noticed the drop, we, one of these things that you always practice, and you're always thinking, what if? And funny enough, we had actually spoken earlier in the flight when we took off about, should we have an engine failure? What are some of our options? That was really just an education mode to Carlos, but it was in our minds. And we went into that mode. So there was an airport, Twin Lakes Airport, small airstrip, as everything in North Carolina, surrounded by trees. It's only three, 4,000 feet. So uh, not terribly short, but not terribly long. Uh, the winds didn't matter. We were at 4,500 feet. I pulled the power back just to kind of not stress the engine, which in, in the Cub was plenty. I believe, I think we were only five miles from the air, yeah, airport. Yeah, five miles. Yeah. Maybe even closer than that. Uh, you should probably, we should probably look at the uh, flight aware track and see our descent. But we got it in there. Um, you know, in my head, I was thinking. I've got power, but if the old pressure is dropping this at this rate, it wasn't rapid, we may lose engine power at any point. So I decided to do a steep approach into Twin Lakes because it's surrounded by trees. What I didn't want to happen was get caught low, the engine quit, and now we're into the trees. So purposely stayed high slipped it in, pretty significant slip, Yeah. Um, just all the way down, all the way down from, again, 4,000 feet down to about 700 feet field elevation. Got it down, it wasn't the most beautiful landing, but it was, it was alright. It was alright, yeah. So uh, after, after we landed, Armando taxied onto a, well, sort of a tie-down area, you know, like tie-down area. And then, obviously, I have to get out first because Armando's sitting in front of me. So I open the, the side door and instantly look down at the wing struts and the, uh, the wheel, the actual gear itself, landing gear. And everything, and I mean everything, was covered in oil, like dripping oil. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It looked like somebody had just taken the uh, the grease trap and <laughs> poured it on the side of the airplane. So I jumped out, went round to the front of the uh, the cub, and the whole front underneath the section, including the exhaust, everything, everything was covered in oil. So yeah, we've um, we managed to uh, obviously get down with no issues, find out the issue was the oil, which had obviously been leaking from somewhere, yet to be discovered. So after we landed, Armando was chatting to two, uh, two guys who were in a 
Piper 32, yeah, PA Cher 32. Cherokee 6. Yeah. Uh, and they were then leaving in front of us to fly out. So they stopped, shut down, and came over to see if we were okay, if we needed assistance. And very kindly offered to fly us to Concord, which is near to where Armando is based. Um, which we, yeah. All of this happened in about 10 minutes? Yeah. So we were on the ground. I'm not a mechanic. I'm not about to start sitting there and uh, diagnose an engine. Even if it was a fitting, well, I'm a pilot, not a mechanic. I am not qualified to put on a fitting or put a fitting back on and certify it as airworthy. So there was no way, I knew in my mind, there's no way that I'm flying the airplane back out of this airport. Um, so, and by, by that I guess I'm saying, I wasn't gonna work on the airport, the airplane. I wasn't gonna take a look at it, anything. So there's a mechanic there on the airfield. I know the airfield. Been in there a couple times for some avionics work on different airplanes. And these guys were just there and said, well, where are you going? Because we're just going up for some proficiency. I said, well, if you can take us to Concord, that'd be great. And uh, I did. That was on the heels of me calling Megan, my wife, and because she's usually tracking us on FlightAware, uh, and I, my first words to her are, "I'm okay. We're okay. We're on the ground safely." And she goes, "Oh bleep! What happened?" I said, "It's fine." Gave her the 30-second version. She was ready to jump in the car and drive the hour north to come pick us up. But these guys literally just said, yeah, we're be yeah. happy to take you Hop back in, home. Put your bags in, jump in. So thanks to Bruce and Ryan. Yeah, thanks uh, Bruce, thanks fa Ryan. Father-son team flying together in their Cherokee 6 and their family airplane. And they we took our bags out and threw it in their airplane and offered them gas money they didn't even take gas money so we were I, we were fortunate enough but you know Concord is my home airport so I got them I uh, had them shut down and I give them a little tour of the Hawker and the Pilatus that live in the same hangar so I think they appreciated that but they wouldn't yeah. even take $20 of, of gas money and they said nope just pay it forward happy to help happy we were there <laughs> and that is a the level of hospitality that yeah. the aviation, the GA aviation community has here in the US. Total strangers. Total strangers, never met before, and they literally flew me and Armando with our baggage to Concord and uh, yeah, save save the uh, well, no, save the travel uh, misery that would have been yeah. if we'd had to, to have uh, driven a car or a vehicle there. So, so we are in a car now. Probably the highlight of this whole story is once we got back to Concord, we picked up my car. Meg picked, picked us up there. Then I took Carlos to Waffle House. Waffle House as a treat. Whoop, whoop. We took I took Carlos to Waffle House and just man, he's just getting a dose of America this weekend. Uh, we went. We ate at Waffle House. We drove back up to Twin Lakes. It's an hour drive with all the airplane covers and the plugs and the chocks and uh, everything because I'm positive that airplane's going to be up there for a couple weeks now 
and so Carlos was kind enough to, I don't think he still knows what day it is. Yeah. We've been, we've been for 72 hours straight since you yeah. arrived. Tonight, we're going to drink some beers and relax, I think. So that's our adventure. Yeah. I suppose our next one is we will check in either from skydiving or perhaps the Pilatus flight up to Philadelphia. Yeah. So, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. And I'm glad we are safe and on the ground. And for all you pilots out there, keep practicing those emergency procedures and always have them in your mind because it was, as I said to Megan, a big old nothing burger if you're always thinking about what if. And it really wasn't. It was was an emergency, but we didn't declare an emergency. The airplane was under control. The engine was running fine, and we were still in the yellow for the old pressure. So, um, but it was a, a very expedient descent and get the airplane on the ground. So, watch your instruments, practice your emergency procedures. Yeah. And on that note, good teamwork. Teamwork makes the dream work. Take care, everyone. I mean, <laughs> I mm. mean, wow. Okay. Good moment, was that? <laughs> Gosh, I don't know. Yeah, where, was... I, I don't know where to start. I really don't. I, I'm sort of a bit lost. Nev, uh, any questions? <laughs> well, of course, in a single engine aircraft, uh, and you're flying, you know, GA, um, you're always looking to where to put it down should the worst happen. I would imagine, and I think that's probably hard coded into every GA pilot from the moment they start their first or second lesson. I, I would imagine. Is, is that right, Armando? I couldn't agree more, and that's it. We we had ironically been talking about that when we departed our fuel stop. We had I was ex- explaining to Carlos the what if game, playing the what if game, and talking about always having in your mind where you're going to put that on this airplane. And I, ironically, I had said, "Hey, it's a it's a, as Piper Super Cruiser. It's basically a big cub. We could put it down in about 300 feet of dirt." To be honest, I mean, we're the airplane would be banged up, but we'd walk away. So we already had it in our minds of, you know, always of, of what if we lose the engine out. To be fair, it was it was probably sounded more dramatic than it really was. We didn't lose the engine. Um, I was able to notice the indications, the abnormal indications fairly quickly. So right away, I noticed the oil pressure was not normal. I know for my airplane, on a regular summer day, it's 72 PSI, and it usually hangs out right at 72 PSI. Uh, so as soon as it was down to 65-ish, I knew something was a little odd. And um, you know, then once it piques your interest, then you kind of keep watching it. And any, every little waver of the needle ended up, you know, getting more imperative, I suppose. Where, um, and and one of my friends asked me. Hey, were you alone or did you have a passenger? I said, no, I actually had a passenger. And I thought about it afterwards. And actually that kind of calms you down a little bit because if you have someone that you're responsible for, you, I I didn't realize this in the moment, but I realize this now after the fact that when you're responsible for someone, you tend to put on a more calm response to the whole thing. And, um, you know, and it kind of just, it made me more calm to have Carlos in the back to, to, 
portray a more calm situation than it probably was. I had no doubt we were going to get the airplane down on an airfield. Um, my only question was how much damage was there going to be to the to the airplane. And one thing I have to correct from the video is I thought the airplane was going to be down for a couple of weeks. It wasn't. It was actually they had it fixed the next morning. Um, Richard Adams asked in the chat room if we found the culprit and they found it right away. It was a hose. It was the oil supply line going to the top of the crankcase that uh, basically failed. It had been manufactured in 1974. And this again, kind of goes to the whole, I'm not, I'm, an, I'm, I'm a pilot, not a mechanic. I don't know <laughs> the difference. I don't know how to tell the difference between a, a hose that was manufactured in 1974 and 1995 and then 2020. That's just not in my, you know, iceberg of knowledge. And that turned out to be the culprit. It was just time for this hose to give way. And we still had three quarts of oil left. The engine will run on two. So out of six full capacity, it usually has four and a half in it. Um, we really only lost a quart and a half of oil. It looked like somebody had taken a Barrett 50 caliber, you know, sniper <laughs> rifle and shot it through the crankcase. Um, but I suppose it's a bit like a head bleed when it just always looks more dramatic than it really is. Um, uh, I think there was, let me see, there was another question in the chat room, I think, yeah. I mean, it's, yeah. as you're saying, like, it's it's sort of, uh, it, I mean, you said, I mean, what goes through your mind at that, as you say, I mean, you sort of weirdly, see, I, I guess you could argue that it could go one of two ways, it's like you've got a passenger on board that therefore, it, you know, potentially could give you a lot of panic, do you know what I mean? rather than sort of going the other way it could it certainly could i what was going through my mind was was get the airplane on the ground and look at it there mm. i i'm not one and this is a lesson that i've learned over the years from both military flying and to be honest from the reno guys mm. is just because you have partial power doesn't mean you're going to keep partial power very long you may have partial power for an hour after that yeah. or it may go dead. So the moment there was an abnormality, the things that came through my mind is we're close enough to home. We're probably only an hour or so at the most from my house where Meg can come pick us up. The absolute most conservative response is put the airplane on the ground and have somebody come look at it. So that's that's what went through my mind. Indeed. Now you've uh, also sent uh, Carlos. I know he's sort of relocating and setting up there. Um, you, you've also se uh, sent us some pictures, which I'll uh, I'll pop up and perhaps you can uh, run us through some of them. So I assume this one is obviously when you went to go and collect Carlos from the airport. I mean, how much luggage did he bring with him? For goodness' sake! <laughs> well, one of those one of those bags was, was just full of gifts and Jaffa cakes. Oh, nice! <laughs> I love a Jaffa means... cake which we've put a pretty good dent on. By the oh, way, if anybody wants to Jaffa Cakes to the carry-on household. Right. That's like okay. our <laughs> they are like your favourite thing. Um, and uh, where should we go next, obviously? Because uh, you had a little meet-up with uh, a few very familiar faces, of course. Yeah. So, <laughs> poor Carlos. Didn't get a chance to rest at all. We went straight from the airport to the Noda Brewing Company. Noda Brewing Company here in Charlotte is owned by a retired... Um, uh, I think Airborne Express DC-8 captain and uh, Todd Ford. He was nice enough to reserve us a couple of fa uh, tables there at, at NOTA. And we met up with none other than Captain Jeff, 
uh, Steph was there, uh, us two, and then we had two, uh, Malcolm, who is an APG listener, has been recently turned on to P PTUK. He actually drove down a couple hours from Virginia uh, to meet up with us. And then we had another pilot there, uh, Juan Sebastian, who is a skydive pilot locally. And it was a great opportunity to meet up with these guys. Um, Noda Brewing Company, Carlos had his first barbecue of the of the trip. <laughs> yeah, I I do a barbecue. Nothing there. I do a barbecue from a from a barbecue truck. Nevertheless, as you do. Um, uh, I I just try to think uh, what it was as we got here. Uh, we we've got a uh, uh, cheese steaks. What's this all about? This one here. Right. So this is one that we're actually going to play out next week. Oh. And for. Yeah, for our, uh, we'll play out a little segment that we recorded. So we were fortunate enough that I, I had a single pilot flight up to Philadelphia International Airport to collect some folks. And I asked the owner, hey, do you mind if, uh, if Carlos comes with me in the right seat? Um, and as you guys probably remember, last time that Carlos was here, he, he was able to fly the Pilatus and fell in love with it. And I think it's just saving up for one now. But um, <laughs> he was able to fly the Pilatus over to Asheville from Charlotte. It's only about a 20-minute flight. Um, so when we got the opportunity to fly from Charlotte to Philadelphia International Airport, it uh, it all worked out really, really well. And Carlos got to see the other side of the Pilatus, which is flying in the flight levels. We're at 23,000 feet all the way up there, talking to New York approach and Philly approach. And, you know, they're abruptness. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, yeah, but we landed in Philadelphia, and of course, if you're going to land in Philadelphia and you got an extra 30 minutes, we went and uh, got some Philly cheesesteaks. Philly cheese how, how would you describe those Philly cheesesteaks? Imagine, Matt, you know yourself, you get, you go and you get a nice kebab in the pit of bread right. in the UK. So imagine a kebab about four times the size that you, you're getting a standard. <laughs> but the flavor is just unreal. Wow. Okay. Okay. Yeah. All right. So you, you mentioned there was a little treat, obviously, off the back of the excitement, shall we say, we'll call it excitement, um, for uh, the having to put the bear cub in uh, in, a, in a strange airport. Uh, now, this photograph, I assume, is something to do with said dessert. <laughs> oh, the Waffle House. Yeah. That just speaks for itself, I think. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. If you're British in the US. Nev, next time you're in Texas... Think you can probably even get to it. I think there's waffle houses in Dallas and oh, there are even, yes, yeah, very much so. Yeah, it's just an American <laughs> establishment. You might as well put an American flag inside of a cheeseburger bun and then like eat it. <laughs> there's nothing more American than a waffle house. No. So <laughs> that's all no, we need to say about that. Introduce Carlos. I, actually, I, 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 Matt, do you remember years ago you used to have those um, little chefs? Yes, I remember a little chef. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Waffle House is like the American version of a little chef. Wow, okay. Good to know. Good to know. Uh, right, okay. Thanks, guys. Uh, more about your trip, obviously. We'll we'll do more about that next week, obviously. You say we've got to, something to look forward to next week. You're waving your finger at me. Uh-oh. <laughs> yeah. No, uh, that's it. So we'll play out a segment, but then if you're a Patreon uh, supporter of the show or traditional supporter on the show, we'll have an extra video that Carlos and I recorded essentially the whole flight, the departure out of Charlotte, the arrival into, into Philadelphia, including the crazy uh, expletive 
taxi instructions that they give us at Philadelphia. So you get to hear something that Captain Nick is especially passionate about, about <laughs> American controllers will just throw the whole dictionary at you. Um, but we'll have, we'll have a segment that will play out on the show. But if you're a Patreon supporter, we'll have an, an extra extended segment hmm. that we'll send to you via the link of the full flight on the way up there. Love yeah. it. Back. Sounds good. Okay, well, we'll make sure we get that all sorted out. Now, uh, Nev, I just want to circle back to what we started the the, the, the show with. Of course, we were talking about uh, your, uh, shall we say, not quite so smooth trip uh, yeah. out, uh, certainly going out, uh, coming back. Now, of course, um, it, it's, it's sort of sort of hit the headlines again isn't it of course and we're i mean we we're, we're not going to cover it in detail really but i think it's worth the mention of course is it's uh, other than obviously you being upset by them you're not the only one who's had a bit of a bad experience certainly in the last sort of 48 hours with ba well the, the problem is is that the the app is not working very well uh and uh you end up with you know, conflicting information or not being able to refresh the app properly. Um, I even had a difference um, between what was going on on my computer compared to what I was going on on, oh, wow. on the app. Um, and they'd also changed the uh, terminal uh, from Terminal 3 to Terminal 5 without telling anybody. Oh. Luckily, I did check it, as I say, beforehand. Mm. Um, but, yes, and then... Um, uh, but it's just, it's so painful at mm. the moment. And I, I, just going back to the, the luggage business at the mm. start of it, that was diabolical. And then, of course, the car not starting. <laughs> yeah, indeed. Indeed. Now, of course, as I say, although, Nev, you, you've had a bad experience, obviously, uh, of recent, as you say, having said that, other than the car, you had a good flight home. It was just the, the hiccup, obviously, with the car yeah. when you got back at the other end. Of course, um, uh, we've ha had headlines this week, of course, of, uh, of in the last 48 hours, I should say, of over 100 flights uh, by BA being cancelled because of ongoing IT issues, which I believe they've now sorted. But, of course, it's meant that aircraft were not where they were supposed to be in all that kind of thing so uh, i think it's safe to say you're not the only one who's <laughs> not had a not had a recent yeah. pleasant experience with I them think, i mean and of course when these things happen you know you end up with aircraft and crew out of position mm. and especially on these short haul sectors it, it really messes up the schedule mm. like you wouldn't believe um and uh, a friend of mine in sweden she's had the very similar problems uh well she's her sister mm. and brother-in-law uh, but it's it's just hard work at the moment, and uh, I'm flying to Stockholm uh, on Monday week, so I hope they've got it all sorted out by then. <laughs> Otherwise, I should I should be wagging my finger. Well, quite absolutely. Uh, being cross. Yes. Fingers crossed, as they say. Uh, right, uh, we're going to move on then, if we may. We're going to do a bit of commercial news. As I say, we've already sort of teased, um, as I say, BA in the headlines again because of IT issues. We're not going to cover that in any more detail. We know what's happened. They need to update their IT systems. Uh, we'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll move on. So if everybody is ready, we'll go into our commercial news. And hopefully, Carlos, you've got the show notes up there. You have yeah. story one, of course. Yeah, this week's uh, first story comes from... Uh, where's it coming from? Uh, AirlineRatings.com. 
And uh, we all know that Nev loves a bit of luxury. Well, this is one for Nev because Boeing are selling their ultra luxurious VIP 777X. They've got an order for one. Uh, they've sold their uh, 777X to an undisclosed customer. I think that's Nev. Well, I'll fly it for you, Nev. The uh, 77X is due to be certified late next year for airline service. And uh, there's also a video uh, that's been released by VIP Interior Designed by Jet Aviation Design Studio and visualized by ACA. In its modernity meets classic elegance, including features like transparent OLED screens in the front of the window panels, illuminated table inlays and flexible mood lighting. Boeing launched the VIP 777X back in December 2018. It can fly its own halfway around the world in ultimate luxury uh, and connect virtually to any cities. Uh, the BBJ 777-8 version of the plane will have an astonishing range of, I'm ready for this, 11,645,000 nautical miles, uh, which is uh, 21,570 kilometers. While the bigger BBJ 777-9 will still offer an ultra-long range of 11,000 nautical miles, this means they will fly further than any business jet. The long-legged uh, 777-8 offers a spacious 3,256-square-foot cabin, uh, while this increases to 3,689 square feet with the 777-9. To demonstrate the versatility of the aeroplane's spacious cabin, Boeing has unveiled interior concepts from three leading design firms, Greenpoint Technologies, Jet Aviation, and Unique Aircraft Design. Each concept shows how the BBJ 777X can be transformed to super tastes of any VIP customer, including Neville Bones. Underscored. Where do you find the money for that, Nev? Uh, well, let's. Uh, I'll, I'll tell you after the show. But uh, uh, it's it's a heck of a uh, interior, isn't it? I mean, it looked like the. Uh, the great room at the uh, Grosvenor House Hotel at one point. I'll look at some of those pictures. I know. I mean, the, these oh, videos are the video is absolutely incredible. I mean, I can't. Yeah. I, I'm trying to, Carlos. You're you're a big fan like me of of a certain uh, space based um, program, and, and and like literally when you're looking at like the meeting room area with the chairs and tables, it really did sort of smack of like you know the the boardroom and the Starship Enterprise. You know where you it's just yeah. like that sort of. It, I mean, it's it, it's it's. Yeah, absolutely. It is. It's like. I mean, it's like nothing. It looks like a. As you say, Nev, that's a really good description, actually, because it does really look like. Um, it looks like a room. It doesn't look like you're on an aeroplane at all. Yeah. I suppose the other thing is when you've got no what I call regular seats in there, mm. you can use the the whole width of the aircraft, and this is where. Uh, the spaciousness comes from and I also think there's a lot to do with the lighting as well because obviously you've got the kind of lighting that's in there is nothing like you get on, on a normal uh, no. commercial aircraft so that really does help create the illusion of space I mean it is spacious anyway of course you have to wonder the caliber of person who's going to be able to afford to um, not only run this but also yeah. own it well, how much how much did you budget now for the yellow paint job <laughs> Uh, well, yes, I subcontracted that to uh, my uh, uh, specialist company for that, so I'm, right. I'm, I'm unable to disclose. Of uh, course, right, of course. Where, where, where are our manners? We didn't think that one through, did we? Uh, <laughs> wow, okay. 
<laughs> oh no okay all right well we'll move on to the next story that one is with me it's from economy class and beyond uh dot boarding area.com that's the website it's come from and the headline is air fi completes its fleet-wide rollout with easyjet air fi fl- f- air fi has been busy rolling out its hardware on board the easyjet fleet providing a new in-flight entertainment and shopping platform and i think I did indeed experience it when I did my recent trip out to uh, Gran Canaria uh, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, it's uh, The move follows the successful rollout of EasyJet's EU and Swiss fleets with in-flight technology provider AirFi deploying its portable streaming solution across the remainder of the airline's fleet. The final installs covered 108 aircraft, extending the platform to all of the 327 of its aircraft. In October 2022, the Line trialled uh, AirFi's technology on board as part of an ongoing campaign to deliver an industry-leading digital onboard experience to its customers across Europe, having deemed the initial trial to be a success. The airline later equipped an additional 108 aircraft and now has deployed the AirFi streaming technology across all 327 aircraft. The in-flight system powers a customised wireless engagement portal, enabling passengers to access games journey-specific content and airline information, plus browse in-flight retail offerings using their mobile phones, tablets or laptops. To access the content, passengers simply connect to a local Wi-Fi network created on board by AirFi's flexible and powerful hardware solution. Aircraft do not need to be taken out of service for this digital upgrade. Access to the content is free and there's no requirement for passengers to download an app before the flight or share personal information to get connected. The the portal provided touch points for food and beverages, shopping and games, as well as a map and some rather good mapping features for those who miss an in-flight map. As you can see, it says, uh, so let me pop up the pictures here. Very, very simple piece of technology. A little tiny box basically takes care of all of that. Uh, a very looks like a sort of a radio, doesn't it? It looks like the old school radio I've, in a little looks box. Looks like a TDK C90. It does. does <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Indeed. Yeah. And I can confirm because it was on my flight because uh, I, I, it was EasyJet that I flew with over to um, Gran Canaria. And I have to say, I spent most of my time killing the battery on my phone fascinated by the map because do you know when you're like when you've got like you know ife like in your headrest or whatever that's in front of you and you can quite often look at the map and and sort of see what's going on there it was actually quite nice to sort of be able to see where you were in relation and it gave it told you how long you got before you were going to touch down and and all that kind of thing and i did spend an awful lot of time playing the games it has to be said and i also used it to find out what what snack I was going to have on there. It was very easy to connect to. It was very reliable. Um, as I say, um, I mean, the games were simple. It was things like Solitaire and um, Mahjong and uh, Sudoku and things like that. So it was all very, uh, all very sort of simple games. But actually, um, just enough to keep you amused while you were sort of in air in in the air really and again you don't it's all done through your browser on your phone so you didn't have to do uh, anything uh, with it it'll be interesting to see how they how they extend this and what other services could well be offered through the platform in the future but uh, i mean i think it's uh, i think it's a uh, a sort of certainly in terms of like a low cost solution uh, one powered up box 
Um, oh yeah, and it sort yeah. of does the whole the whole aircraft. I mean, I I I, I say the, the the map was brilliant, absolutely brilliant. Mm. No, I think this is the problem is that with uh, <clears throat> excuse me with some of these uh, IFE systems, the, the Wi-Fi and and the clunkiness of the interface leaves leaves a lot to be yeah. desired. But this looks this looks a very uh, clean way of of doing it all from the the, the design on the uh, very much so on the app. Oh, sorry, on the on the browser part of it. Yeah, mm. very very much so. <laughs> impressed me guys is on the way over last week obviously i had access to wi-fi on board the american airlines triple seven and i was streaming you guys on the show in full hd on my phone listening in obviously you know what you obviously you know you guys know i was in there but i was watching you with with no issues at all using the onboard wi-fi oh really that good um, i d didn't know your phone could do full hd uh, <laughs> 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 oh, Mr. Bounds. <laughs> indeed, indeed. But yeah, I mean, did it did it drop out much? I mean, did it lose frame rates and things like that? Did it sort of glitch much, or I, was it pretty smooth? Admittedly, I had to drop it down to seven twenty off ten eighty. Oh but no! It, it, it was it, it it ran it ran smooth. The audio was fine, and there was no lag or nothing. That it, it was spot on, and mm. I was really impressed with how. How good the uh, the wife. Obviously, I did run a speed. Actually, I didn't run a speed test. Perhaps I should have ran a speed test. To see you do it on the way back. Yeah, I'll do it on the way back. Mm. Well, also, I mean, think of how much we've said it on the show. Everybody's on their devices, anyways. If you just kind of cater to that, how much money and weight and maintenance are you saving on IFE devices, which were terrible to begin with? Yeah. But now everybody's got this full HD streaming. Uh, capability movie. in the hand, yeah, yeah, which they're going to be doing anyway. So. And of course, it's you know, it, I mean, these are things that people would have been bringing with them anyway. They're not bringing them with them just because um, you know they're on a flight. It would be a phone that's in their pocket, maybe a Bluetooth uh, headset. I mean, I took a Bluetooth headset out with me and downloaded a load of podcasts so that I could listen for for my five hour flight out to Gran Canaria. Um, uh, and that's say, so, so this is all technology that people are already bringing with them or or they've already got in their pocket i mean it's just you know as you say the weight the weight saving is, is huge isn't it really um anyway uh well carlos will do us a speed test on the way home so we'll find out a bit more about what sort of speeds are actually possible uh mid-flight uh, over at the atlantic and uh nev we'll move on shall we to the next story if we may Yes, this is on uh, timeout.com, and of course, getting to the airport, uh, as we know, can be a bit traumatic, but actually, the new Elizabeth line has just made it a lot easier for holidaymakers to get to Heathrow. Very good news for the folks in the east of England, if you, if you know any of those. Didn't know. Um, <laughs> no. Well... But it's never fun getting in the airport, of course, but thankfully, just in time for your summer holidays, you can now travel directly from Shenfield in Essex to Heathrow without having to change trains. For the first time since the Purple Line opened almost a year ago, the service now goes directly from east to west in just 80 minutes. Wow. Updates to the line's timetable means that trains will run from Shenfield uh, through East London to Heathrow Terminal 5 all day, and the airport will now receive six Elizabeth Line trains per hour. 
Previously, passengers travelling from Heathrow on the Elizabeth Line could go as far as Canary Wharf and Abbey Wood, but now the line goes through 13 more stations in East London and Essex, including Stratford, Ilford, Romford and Shenfield. Uh, when taking a train from Heathrow to Shenfield, passengers no longer have to change at Paddington. That's a huge benefit, isn't it? Mm. Uh, to mark the occasion, uh, for this week only, the trains are being voiced by the apprentice star and born and bred Essex boy, Tom Skinner. <laughs> Uh, according to the mayor, the Elizabeth Line is now the most popular rail service in the country. He says that an incredible 3.5 million journeys are made each week uh, as passengers enjoy the modern trains, beautiful step-free stations and reduced journey times. The Elizabeth Line is the most significant addition to our transport network in decades and has proven to be much more than just a new railway, but providing a crucial economic boost to the whole country and playing a vital role in drawing people back onto London's public transport. He says the introduction of the full timetable marks the completion of the Crossrail project and I'm delighted that passengers will have even more frequent services to get them across the capital and beyond. Now I have to say I've used the Elizabeth line a couple of times now. It's a really good service, very frequent because all the trains are brand new, lovely and clean and that east-west route across London was always a challenging one but this is brilliant news and of course you can use your regular Oyster card on it as well. That's, uh, oh that's wow. It. See, now I'm quite excited about this because, I mean, Carlos um, has uh, obviously parked um, for his trip. Obviously, I'm going out in October and uh, I don't have that luxury. I've got to leave the car here. Um, I can't book the train yet because it's too far in the future. And I was genuinely thinking I wasn't quite sure what was going to be the best option. But actually, if I can pick it up at either Stratford or Shenfield um or even romford that's going to be the answer isn't it actually is to yeah. just jump across there and then wherever it is that i'm going to stay um because i'll have to do it the day before obviously because the trains don't start early enough here in order for me to get there in time <laughs> for my flight um but um yeah sort of try and find myself a, a nice little hotel because most of most of, am i right most of the airport uh most of the airport is serviced by little shuttle buses for the various sort of hotels that are nearby Yes, and, and oh. some some of them are even you know walking distance. But uh, oh, wow. no, there's, there's some good shuttle services there. Definitely, yeah, mm. yeah, that'll work. Yeah, mm. that sounds like a plan. Even mm. even on your worst day, this is my own personal opinion for everybody listen to the podcast. But I very much appreciated the availability of public transport in the UK to get to any of the airports. Uh, just not a thing that we have here, unless you live in New York City. Uh, even if you live in Atlanta or something like that, sure, there are some rail lines that go there, but it's, none of it is a smidgen as convenient as it is in the UK, even on its, even going through London on, you know, before the Elizabeth line. I, I always went to Heathrow on public transport from Cambridge. I would start. Okay, I think we seem to have lost Armando's audio for some reason, which is a bit of a shame. Um, so uh, I'll tell you what, I'll take the next story then while they hopefully get that sorted. They've gone a bit um, strange uh, for some reason. So I'll take uh, the next story then while they hopefully perhaps reconnect their audio uh, and uh, uh, hopefully we'll be okay then because we've lost them for some reason. Uh, the next story, Jetit moves into furloughs as pause uh, in operations continues uh, with competing stories coming out of uh, fr uh, fractional 
charter operator Jetit stakeholders are seeking clarity and the news doesn't look good according to several sources that reached out to flying jet it uh, has begun a significant round of furloughs capping a rough uh, weekend for the company in which it has also voluntarily grounded its fleet and paused operations. Uh, it's uh, in its recent series of decisions made following a runway overrun accident at uh, Honda Jet last week in South Carolina. Jet it moved first to a safety stand down, according to an email sent by CEO Glenn Gonzalez to company stakeholders on Monday. After careful consideration of this and other recent similar events, we have made the difficult decision to implement a safety stand down as of the 18th of May and ground this aircraft type in our fleet effective immediately, said Gonzalez. Jetit has taken this precautionary measure to ensure the safety and well-being of our passengers, pilots and the integrity of our operations. The stand down will be focused on reviewing policies and procedures for the safe operation of Honda Jet aircraft and gathering more information. In a separate response to a series of eight accidents that have taken place involving Honda Jets over the last year, Honda Jet Owners and Pilots Association had already called for its own safety analysis and subsequent international sessions and training for operators to address those concerns at a future date. With no current pause in operation, uh, in a video to its members, HJOPA Executive Director Julie Hughes framed the association's position. All of you are experienced pilots and while you have your own ideas involving each of these events, it's critical that we do not jump to conclusions or make unfounded assumptions, said Hughes. Instead, we are allowing the data to inform us about this concerning trend within our platform. This data-driven approach will guide us in making appropriate actions to enhance the safety of each of our operations. HJOPA is working in concert with uh, Honda Aircraft Co, Flight Safety International and its board and membership. The organised break in aviation activities planned by said group stands in contrast to the emergency style stand down in progress at Jetit. Jetit has positioned itself uniquely in the market, offering share owners use of the fractional fleet at a relatively low rate of $1,600 per hour. When the company is able to serve its customers utilizing its fleet, it typically makes a modest amount per hour on the transaction. But if the fractional, ha but if the fractional has to fulfill a customer request for service with an aircraft outside of its fleet, that margin erodes sharply. In the midst of a dispute regarding service from Honda Aircraft Co, Jetit announced it would pivot its fleet away from the HA420 and to Embraer's Phenom 300. Part of the reason Gonzalez gave for the change was in more than $20 million in off-fleet expenses since 2020 that Jetit had to absorb, which it blamed on poor service record for the Honda Jet. Honda Aircraft Co. responded with a breach of contract lawsuit filed against Jetit, saying, 
saying it had violated certain agreement terms and defamed the OEM with its uh, disparaging statements. OEM, original equipment manufacturer, by the way. Uh, HACI dropped the lawsuit in a confidential settlement in April and it confirmed that it considered Jetit a customer it would continue to provide service for as agreed upon. However, Jetit's own customers have reported significant fall-off in service levels since the beginning of 2023 to the point of unreliability combined with the word from two former executive level employees speaking on condition of anonymity that Jetit has begun furloughing personnel at all levels of the enterprise supports speculation that the business is in serious trouble and I think it's safe to say that is very much the case um, it's uh, I mean, I mean, this is this is. I hate it when we never we these sort of disputes. Uh, it just never ends well for anyone, does it? Really, when stuff like this happens. No, and obviously there's an ongoing investigation going on here, isn't there? So it's important that we, you know, we can't really jump to conclusions. But there clearly, there's been some issues and some incidents that have been going on. Um, Fractional ownership, of course, is is quite a, a common thing. I think um, more in the GA sector than in the sort of corporate jet sector, perhaps. But um, um, if if there's a dispute that goes on, then it, it's going to go legal, probably, and that's just going to mean you know less money for the outfit to operate with mm. um, so this is this is obviously an ongoing thing, as I say. So we'll have to see what, what the yeah, outcome is. So the, more more details yeah. forthcoming. One of the unintended consequences of something like this is the airplane is very quickly developing a bad rap. And I'll tell you right now from firsthand knowledge that some of the Honda jet incidents that have happened this year are, have nothing to do with the airplane. It's all really? pilot making, but that, and then as we saw with the max and once the news gets a hold of it, and once the industry gets a hold of, uh, an opinion, to be honest, an opinion, and then they start running with it. Now the Honda Jet, which which could be a really really great airplane, you know, it's and it's I hate to say it, but it's always what Neil Cluffley is always talking about. There, you get a disruptor, you get something that's new, and there's always just everybody's just always finding a reason to pick it apart and make it not work. And I I feel like the Honda Jet is falling into this. I've never flown a Honda jet. I don't know what is going on, but we have had those eight mishaps this year, um, fairly uh, successively, I suppose. But um, and it's just a kind of a shame because the you know the industry, the news, the media gets a hold of this, and the next thing you know, uh, companies go under, people lose their jobs, and then and then production of the Honda jet you know ceases. It's just so hard such a hard industry to break, mm. break into when you're a disruptor and you have a new product, uh, unless you're just backed by the billions of, of Textron and Embraer and those kinds of operators in Gulfstream. And actually, for, for me there, Armando, your sort of first-hand experience there, that for me is super interesting, as you say, because if you read this article, it all sounds like it's a, you know, sort of tit-for-tat type sort of thing between uh, Jetit and Honda. Um, but you're saying the incidents essentially that, you know, to the very best of your knowledge and first-hand experience, the, 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 the issues, if you like, that are being discussed here are not actually 
to do with you know are not actually the fault of honda yeah it was a partnership honda jet and jetted were um they you know they partnered up and said hey we believe in each other and we're going to create this whole company jetted on the honda jet and then by jetted saying wait a minute the jet's not quite right we're going to pivot over to the Embraer, the company Honda and Honda Jet, which is, as uh, Captain Cruz uh, points out in the chat room, is about an hour north of here uh, in Greensboro, North Carolina, is where they're manufactured. Honda Jet is saying, wait a minute, you signed a promise. You signed an agreement that said we were going to embark on this together and that we were going to popularize the, the Honda Jet. But now Jet is saying, well, you're unreliable, so we're backing out of the deal and going over to the Embraer. Uh, to the average customer, probably they're not going to see any difference. They'll still just broker it out to other corporate jets, but it's a huge hit for Honda. Yeah, I bet. I bet. Especially when they're trying to sort of, as you say, break into the industry. Um, okay, we'll move on because we are rapidly running out of time already and we're only on story five. So, uh, Carlos, you have the next one. Yeah, uh, the good news if you fancy buying an old 747, this is on flightglobal.com. And uh, we've all heard of Strata launch and uh, obviously the, the failure of uh, the Virgin Orbit as their assets are being carved up. The three companies have successfully bidded four assets of Virgin Orbit with aerospace firm Strata launch picking up the modified Boeing 747-400, which was used to carry the, uh, the airdrop satellite uh, launch vehicles. Uh, Virgin Orbit entered U.S. bankruptcy protection earlier this year. Uh, weeks after the 747's first attempts to launch satellites from the UK ended in failure, as we all saw, when the rocket suffered a thrust malfunction. Over 30 expressions of interest were submitted for Virgin Orbit, but court filings show that three ent uh, entities have been declared successful, having offered to purchase various assets. Strata Launch already operates the large and unique twin fuselage scale Composites 351, originally developed for airdrop and orbit orbital launches. And the court filing shows it submitted $17 million uh, bid for the General Electric CF6 Power 747 and related items. Uh, it states that the aircraft is due for a C2 heavy maintenance check in early August. And its landing gear is on a two-year extension, which expires in July, and a number of minor systems that need uh, faults need repairing. The filing also points out the aircraft's documentation is no longer continuous, as of the completion of its flights to and from the UK spaceport formal during the failed January launch mission. But the jet remains in the same configuration. At the closing, the seller will deliver a logbook that is up to date for all operations of delivery of the aircraft, uh, date of the aircraft it has. And according to the court filings, an entity called Launcher uh, bid $2.7 million for the facilities and machinery located at Mojave Space Center in California. Third bidder, Rocket Lab USA, put forward a bid of just over $16.1 million, uh, I should say, uh, for Virgin Orbit's headquarters and manufacturing complex in Long Beach. Now, while it confirms the bid does not include the 747 or launch vehicles, Rocket Lab says the assets are expected to advance the production of its own launch vehicle known as Neutron. Not a very space engine. Uh, Rocket Lab will not be integrating into or integrating Virgin Orbit's launching system with its existing launch system, it adds. And with Neutron's design and development, well advanced uh, transaction represents a capital expenditure savings opportunity 
to augment the production capability to bring Neutron to the launch pad quickly to serve the customers and future successes. So we fancy a, a, a heavily modified 747 with the capability to launch uh, a, well, an orbital uh, platform, then, uh, yeah, get down there now. Because that, that, that aircraft is an ex-Virgin Atlantic 747. I remember right, Nick. Wouldn't doubt it. Yeah. I can't keep up with Virgin Orbit and Virgin Galactic. and Because Virgin Galactic just launched something. I can't keep up. I don't know the difference. <laughs> no, well, I mean, and I'm the last person to have any indication in, in about uh, what that is. I mean, it's just, yeah, it's uh, sort of sad, I suppose, in one hand. But, you know. I guess it'll yeah. it'll it'll sort of all come out in the wash. I guess I, I don't think it's the last we'll hear of it, though, is it? No, nah, I don't. Some base soon. Yeah. Indeed. So, Matt, you've got the next one. Another tech story mm. for you, Matt. Yeah, we'll 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 rattle through this. This one's sort of fairly self-explanatory, so we'll rattle through this one. But it is interesting, uh, and uh, I've got no link on this. So I'm afraid I don't know where it's come from. But uh, in Inmasat rolls out fastest ever. JetConnex in-flight connectivity plans. Satellite communications company Imasat is now selling a series of faster in-flight broadband plans as part of its JetConnex service with business partner Satcom Direct. Imasat is rolling out its plans which will provide data transfer speeds of up to 100 megabits uh, yeah, 100 megabits in response to ever-increasing demand by customers for lightning-fast connections, says Melinda Janda, Vice President of Commercial Strategy for Imasat's Business and General Aviation Division. The partners have been flight uh, testing the technology using a Gulfstream G550 outfitted with SATCOM's direct plain simple KA band terminal. They expect to achieve certification of the system in time for the plans to be available in the third quarter of this year, says SATCOM Direct Chief Commercial Officer of Business Aviation and Maritime Products, Michael Skov Christensen. The uh, results of our flight testing have been outstanding and we are now close to securing a type approval for its use on Imasat's global KA band satellite network, SATCOM Direct President Chris Moore says of the terminal. In addition to developing tail-mounted antennas and modem units for the service, SATCOM Direct has partnered with Imasat to distribute airtime. This will enable passengers to simultaneously collect more devices and enjoy unchallenged access to the most data-hungry applications, including high-definition video conferencing, without compromising on services on the services' proven characteristics of consistency consistency, reliability, resist, resilience and seamless global availability. Imasat has said the company launched its Jet Connect service six years ago. Since then, the product has earned its reputation as a gold standard for business aviation in flight broadband, says Imasat Head of Business Aviation Kai Tang. As passenger expectations around connectivity evolve, it is imperative that we stay one step ahead of the technology. I mean, that's very, very exciting. Although it sounds like we're almost there, judging by your experience, Carlos, going out to see Armando. So, uh, yeah, uh, could be very, very interesting. Nev, what have you got for us uh, this, this time round? 
Well, um, it's on simpleflying.com and it's a BA uh, promotion. Uh, they've, uh, they've revealed that they're going to be offering flights where tickets can only be bought by frequent flyers with points. Two routes are planned before the end of the year with a further three destinations planned for the 2024 Easter holidays. Uh, as airlines look to add value to their frequent flyer offerings, uh, some are offering flights that are available exclusively, exclusively to their frequent flyers. BA revealed that it would become one of these airlines in mid-April, revealing two initial routes for its Avios-only flights. Now the pool of uh, two routes only accessible to executive club members has increased to seven. Uh, well, this week the British flag carrier revealed that it will be adding five more uh, points uh, for pl pl sorry plane destinations through to April 2024. The November the 3rd inaugural flight to Sharm el-Sheikh will remain the first service to be operated by this model. However, it will now be joined two weeks later by an Avios-only service to Las Palmas on November the 15th, uh, returning to Gatwick Airport a week later on November the 22nd. For those perhaps looking for some winter sun, the other uh, route added this year is between Gatwick and Lanzarote. This rotation is to set, uh, set to depart London on the December the 4th and returning on December the 11th. The previously announced points planes will then operate to Geneva on February the 10th, 17th, 24th and March the 2nd, with return operating a week later respectively. Uh, the second tranche of routes announced by British Airways today will then all take place together over the Easter break. BA will be offering Avios only flights on the following routes departing March the 29th, 2024, and returning on April the 7th. Uh, they are Heathrow to Barcelona, Heathrow to Nice, and Gatwick to Tenerife South. So that's quite an interesting model, isn't it? Where you uh, you can only buy these flights with points only. Um, what, are your, what are your thoughts on that? That would never fly here, but... No, well, of course, people, people like me want to use points to top up... Um, or to get, get discount off a flight, for example, uh, because you won't be earning any points doing this because you're, you're spending them. But it, it's worth a try. Um, they, they need to find... The, the problem is, is it, I think they're, they're on limited routes and they are on limited um, it, these uh, well, timescales. It looks like they're on, on a week's rotation, something like that. Um, so if that fits in with your schedule, then that's fine. But... That's not always the case. I'm trying to find suitable destinations uh, for Avios points redemption is traditionally quite a challenge. Um, sometimes it works, but often it doesn't for a lot of people. But let's see what happens. Let's see how they get on with it. Hmm. Yes, indeed. It's, as you say, going to be very uh, sort of... Uh, you're you're more of a collect. I mean, you collect points, Nev, but um, and yet you, you sort of indicate that you're not sort of keen to spend them. <laughs> well, no, it's just trying to find that the flight rotations that right that because uh, not all um, flights are available uh, with. Uh, sometimes it's without with Avios and some extra money to put together with it, but they are on limited routes. Sometimes they're very early in the morning or sometimes they're late at night. They're not in those nice, you know, timed routes between sort of nine and six during the day, for example. Indeed. Um, but, you know, it's, it's good to see someone trying something different 
um, yeah. for, for a mainstream airline. You know, yeah, so. indeed, indeed. Okay, we'll move on to the next story. Um, I'll hey, take... Um, um, got, he's he's going to take this one. Okay. I'll take uh, C9, yeah. This is uh, interesting. Actually, Carlos and I were watching the video uh, earlier today, and it's a... Well, the story title is When Buffett's Plane Passengers is Door Open on Flight in South Korea. But this has obviously kind of made its way through the Internet already. I think it just happened today, right? So uh, police in South Korea have arrested a man who allegedly, I don't think it's very allegedly, I think it pretty, <laughs> it's pretty, pretty obvious that it happened, opened the door on an Asiana flight shortly after the, the, shortly before the aircraft landed, triggering some panic amongst the 194 passengers on board, leading several passengers uh, being taken to the hospital. I believe nine was the last number that we saw. Um, the A321 landed safely, but with its door still open, as you saw in some of the pictures on social media at Daegu Airport in South Korea about 12.40 p.m. after leaving Jeju and Island, uh, Jeju Island an hour earlier. No one was seriously injured, as far as we know, but these nine people were taken to hospital after suffering from suspected hyperventilation, which I could see that if there's a 150-mile-per-hour wind uh, right next to you. Uh, Daegu Fire Department officials said uh, they included eight school children from Jeju, according to the island's education office. So the airplane was just a few minutes from landing when the male passenger sitting next to an emergency door opened a cover and pulled the lever so the door opened about 650 feet above the ground, according to an Asiana spokesperson. Now, a video clip taken by a passenger captured the moment that the wind ripped through rows of passengers who had already fastened their seatbelts to prepare for landing. Thankfully, they did, uh, with a gap in the middle of the fuselage clearly visible. And initially, we were trying to wonder, Carlos and I were wondering, well, is this an overwing exit? We didn't know what kind of airplane it was, but it, once we found out it was an A321, there is no overwing exit. It's, it's a full floor-to-ceiling, uh, you know, door three, I believe, or that door three, door two, um, that uh, that opened up. Um, anyways, as you, as you guys can imagine, this is a pretty significant thing, and some of the pictures afterwards one of my first questions was, did the slide deploy? It appears that the slide did deploy exactly as you're playing out there. Um, and I was thinking, you know, aside from the structural damage caused by the door opening, uh, as it is, and these are hydraulically assisted doors, so you can do it. The door was armed. Um, but they're incredibly lucky that the slide, one, didn't rip off a good chunk of aluminum and, and a part of the fuselage coming out. But also that slide coming off and ripping off that didn't get entangled in the tail of the aircraft on short final. You know, you're at a low altitude. They were 600 feet, so you're maybe 20 seconds from landing or so. That could have been uh, catastrophic had that slide. Um, not to mention, you know, the loss of life if you if if you didn't have. Now, when we when we looked at Southwest 1380 uh, explosive decompression. Uh, and that's happened a couple times in aviation history or commercial aviation history. Where people have actually gotten sucked out, you know, the Aloha aircraft 737 way back in the 80s. Uh, at this point, the aircraft was probably depressurized already. So opening the door wasn't going to be a, a huge deal. Nobody was going to get sucked out unless they didn't have their seatbelts on, which thankfully they did. So 
I just couldn't imagine this from the from the pilot standpoint or even a cabin crew standpoint of you get a door light on tort final. I mean, they probably thought it was a mistake, but or a faulty sensor. But you can imagine how emotional it would be if if you're a passenger here. So, luckily, only minor injuries. And as you say, that's that's absolutely incredible. I mean, when the slide, did, as you saw in the video there, you could see that it, you know, obviously the slide had deployed, off. it had been ripped off. Um, I mean, lucky it didn't get ingested by the engine or all sorts of, I mean, there's so many scenarios where, where that could have gone very south very, very quickly. Um, yeah. And all because of an idiot. I mean... I, 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 I will get a, a slight smack hand and a... I don't know, it's South Korea. Juicy fine. <laughs> in South Korea, I think it might be a little oh, more. South Korea, that. so he'll be he'll yeah. be missing now for oh, that's it. Yeah. yeah. Indeed. Yeah, he'll just be missing now. That's it. End of. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> indeed. Anyway. But uh, well, I mean, and Nev, I mean, because well. as I say, we we saw we saw this story being sort of released and stuff. Nev, I mean, it's just like. I, I I mean, we were having a conversation in our group chat here. I I kind of assumed that you couldn't physically open the door and like it was locked in some way like permanently until you were like on the ground until like some fancy mechanism were, was was triggered well obviously when you're at any kind of altitude and the aircraft's pressurized there is no way you can open the door at all because the differential pressure between the inside and the outside is just enormous no amount of strength will be able to do that it has occurred to me though as i look or as i sit in my uh, my king seat in 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 1a quite right yes uh, sipping my champagne and Absolutely. looking around at my fellow um passengers it has occurred to me it's not actually on short final but on the takeoff roll and certainly for the first 500 feet uh, after the aircraft's taken off can those doors be opened if someone was really determined to do so? Armando, do you know if that is the case or yeah, is there some I kind of interlock? So. I believe so, and I think it's actually designed that way because, you know, you may have, the, you can't rely on, an, on a squat switch or an air ground sensor because uh, if you were to actually have a, a crash, let's say a, a aircraft runs off the runway, all of those sensors would be ripped off anyway. Mm. Um, they're all in the gear, the spot switches. Um, so I think, I think this probably identifies a potential weak point, uh, but you can't account for every possible scenario. Yeah, I don't, I don't imagine this will change anything in the operators because you wouldn't want to take off with the doors disarmed or locked. That, you know, that's that's the most critical part of of the flight is the takeoff and landing. So I, I think it will probably just come out as a special interest item, maybe. See, now, but, uh, I, I mean, I've heard that phrase all the time. Obviously, I heard it when I went out to Grand Canary where they were saying doors were doors were locked and armed. Yeah, doors armed and cross-checked is a pretty standard Doors call. armed, yeah, sorry. So not locked, actually. Yeah, doors armed and cross-checked. Now, I'd assumed that, that what, what they meant by armed was that, like, you know, it was essentially locked and that people couldn't do it yeah. but what you actually mean is like essentially the slide is slide. armed yeah and you can actually see it if you um if you're in 1a or or if you're in any of the exit rows you can see the when the cabin crew on an a321 it's a it's a lever with the word armed 
right? And it's separate. So if it's disarmed, lever is in the up position mm -hmm. and you can't read the word, but once they arm it, you can, if you actually look below the door, you can see the, uh, there's an aluminum bar, I don't know if it's aluminum, but there's a metal bar underneath that actually latches down onto the aircraft frame. Um, like that, if you, um, if you open the door, the slide that is contained inside the door will, will, uh, yeah, will, will be latched to the wow. airplane. Okay. Uh, but that, that is the design, but I, you know, like these are all great questions. I think it'll just identify a potential weak point. Mm. Um, Cause I, I'd uh, sort of assumed that unless you were on the ground, it wasn't possible to open it basically. And so, you know, I've never been worried about like, you know, if as a nervous passenger, this will now make me, nervous if you've got a disruptive passenger yeah but i i would say you're in a, how can i say this um you're in a very good position matt because you would be able to overpower the miscreant <laughs> quite easily. good point good point well made so don't and worry about anything no indeed and especially if i'm hungry he's in a lot of trouble that's all i'm saying uh yeah indeed okay uh so uh well that that pretty much brings our commercial stories to a close for this week this is very weird doing this while you're here carlos just because we're having uh sort of like issues with uh with your audio over there unfortunately uh nev we've got a little video that we're going to play out uh for you uh, f uh now if you could sort of tell us a little bit about it um i'd be very grateful oh yes this is our little visit to uh east fortune is this the one we're playing i think so yes absolutely yes well uh we've got a lot of content uh to play out over the coming weeks um and um the uh, well the, the museum was so welcoming to us uh it was absolutely brilliant we had the the run of the whole place uh and it was a a, a fascinating um insight into uh, how they preserve these aircraft and all, all the challenges uh, around it. Um, now, uh, interesting enough, my uh, uh, the item that I was going to read has disappeared from my screen, which is oh. slightly unfortunate. Um, but if I remember, I can't remember which which aircraft it is. We I were think uh, it's well. The, the title of it is Carlos with Britain Norman Ice ah, this Islander. Is the, yes, this is the one. This is the Britain Norman Islander uh, of the Scottish. Uh, air ambulance service. Ooh. So let's uh, go over to Carlos at the museum. The Civil Aviation Hangar here at the National Museum of Flight. Behind me, the Britain Norman Islander, the islander which connected communities in Scotland since entering service back in 1967. For residents on the island of North Runnelsea, Islanders can take them to facilities in Kirkwall in Orkney in around 25 minutes. In contrast, a weekly ferry trip takes more than two and a half hours. Now, you may recognise the aircraft, uh, the Britain Norman, um, the Islander, as having another kind of sibling to the family, which is the uh, Trilander, which has the extra engine on the uh, rear there on the tail. Uh, which I think were pretty much in service up until a few years back. But this was an air ambulance, and uh, for almost 40 years, the Islanders operated as air ambulances with aircraft based in Lerwick in Shetland, Kirkwall and Glasgow. This particular ice, uh, Islander behind me here operated as an air taxi in Germany uh, for many years, and for five years it flew parachutists at Errol in Perthshire. It's painted, as you can see here, in the Air Ambulance, the Scottish Air Ambulance livery, and uh, 
It's a tribute to the important role in Scotland that the aircraft pl uh, played with its role here. Built in 1977 uh, with a crew of two pilots and uh, could take a maximum of eight passengers with a top speed at 170 miles per hour and also had a range of 810 miles which is around about 1300 uh, kilometers but the aircraft is in really good condition here inside the hangar in the uh, civil aviation hangar here at the museum really well looked after really nice and tidy inside and uh, you could almost say you could wheel this out today and, and possibly take off from the runway which is just across from where we are here today but really fantastic uh, hangar here for those of you who might get a chance to come up here and have a look at the museum there are so much to do and especially in this hangar where we're standing now there are many uh, civilian aircraft from around the various eras of time uh, of flight all spanning from the early 60s right through to the early 90s we'll have a look at those aircraft in a moment but we'll just have a look at the master that is the Britain Norman Islander here in this glorious colour which I think would definitely stand out in the air for those of you who would uh, see this flying overhead. Also a big rear door at the back for loading on uh, patients on stretchers as well which is always handy and has quite a good big load area here behind the actual seats where the pilot sits there's quite a big load area behind here with a large side opening door at the rear of the aircraft there but all in all what a great place to be really enjoying it here today so far still loads to see and do and uh, we're going to carry on with our tour of the museum. So, uh, of course, Carlos, uh, an amazing time was had by you uh, all there. I mean, uh, yeah, we, we've still got quite a few still to see, I believe. Yeah, I think we've, we've, we've got probably, what, another three or four segments now? Yeah, and then the interview, of course, with uh, Ian, who's the curator of the museum. Oh, wow. so, uh, there's about three or four parts of that to come as well. So we thought we'd do that when we've played all these out. But that, uh, uh, the island is a really interesting aircraft, very versatile. Uh, yeah. And of course, the Trilander version that you mentioned in that piece, uh, that was used extensively in the Channel Islands between Jersey and Guernsey and Alderney. Um, so, uh, it's like the DC 10 of prop aircraft. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Quite yeah. indeed. Okay, it's uh, Jonathan Warner's favourite time of the show. Armando, what's next? Uh, you know, despite our best efforts, <laughs> again, we do have time for military. Pull that ejection handle, Matt. Watch up, buggies 13550, Angel When we're going to air and spaceforces.com we've been talking about this i think for three years now four years now the air force's light attack aircraft program so the u.s special operations command is going to start accepting delivery this october of the sky warden which is the modified crop duster that won its armed overwatch camp uh, competition last year we talked about that on the show already in low rate production socom is expecting 26 aircraft that's part of its initial production run uh, those aircraft will go through some operational testing and a full rate production decision will follow as soon as 
March 2025. So that's actually pretty quick as far as government acquisitions go. Um, the low rate production decision was first reported by Flight Global. All told, SOCOM, Special Operations Command, is looking to acquire 75 of the Skywarden aircraft to fly uh, surveillance, close air support, and precision strike missions in austere and permissive environments, right? So do we determine permissive, non-permissive? It's not really designed to go up against enemy air defenses. It's designed to, to be somewhere where you actually control the airspace. Um, something like this would look like counterinsurgency uh, counter operations in Africa, the Middle East, South America, something like that. SOCOM Air Force Special Operations Command work together. Um, they said that they currently rely on a variety of different aircraft to perform those functions separately and want only one platform to do it to collapse the stack. That's a very military term of uh, saying reducing the number of aircraft airborne over an operation. Uh, the Sky Warden, as we talked about, was uh, selected by Special Operations Command in August 2022. It's developed uh, it's a collaboration between L3 Harris and Air Tractor. It's, it is based on the AT-802 aircraft, which is used for agriculture and firefighting. It's rugged, it's got chunky tires, it's built for primitive airfields. Uh, it's got some uh, race car style roll cage to protect the two-man crew, two-person crew. Uh, it is designed to be modular, so the wings pop off. Uh, the, the wings don't pop off in the air. The wings are designed to pop off for uh, transport, but even all of the sensors, it's armament, it's all modular. It's all designed to be uh, out, kitted out in the field very quickly for whatever mission is, uh, is going to be, uh, it is going to be employed in. Um, so the Sky Warden is based on an existing system. L3 Harris claimed that it can be delivered in less than 12 months. Um, so there you go, plans for the aircraft to reach initial operation capability, probably next year sometime, uh, maybe 2025, fully operational by 2029. And again, this is an aircraft that we talked about that we could potentially see not only employed in special U.S. special operations, but I guarantee you that the, the Royal Air Force will probably end up with a couple of them. I bet you the Australians will probably end up with a couple of them, as well as uh, some of our partner air forces that are traditional trade partners, we'll just call it. Very capable aircraft. The competition for this has been going on for almost 15 years now of a similar capability onto a crop duster style aircraft. Um, I know even I applied, when I first left the Air Force, um, I was gonna go work at a company called IOMAX here in Charlotte, which was uh, had Archangel. I think you guys saw it oh, at the Dubai Air Show, yeah. yeah. So this looks, almost exactly like the Archangel, uh, just L3 Harris is a, is a bigger company with a lot more money than a small company like IOMAX. So it's been in the project, in the, yeah, a project for a long, long time. Incredible, incredible. Um, so uh, I think, uh, are we, is that, uh, what, what's, what's next? You want to take uh, the F-18? Yeah, we've got the F-18 one. Yep. This happened this week, actually, while I've been out here in the States. Um, it's been all over Twitter as well and social media. It's uh, from the drive.com. A Spanish EF-18 Hornet crashed uh, during uh, air show practice flight. So the Spanish Air Force pilot uh, was taken to hospital with injuries after ejecting uh, from his EF-18 Hornet before a crash at Zaragoza Air Base. Yeah. 
the video, uh, which uh, can be seen on social media, of Matt's got a copy of that. It uh, shows the EF-18 in a steep climb before pitching over and after a brief moment of level flight, uh, careening nose down into the ground. You can also hear a sharp throttle adjustment during the pitch over maneuver and the pilot ejects just before the jet impacts the ground, resulting in a huge fireball. Citing Spain's Civil Guard, the associated pressure board, the pilot suffered uh, leg injuries from the low altitude ejection. And Spanish news agency EFE reported the EFA team was practicing for an air show when the crash occurred. Uh, and in a tweet, the Spanish and Air Force uh, and Space Force confirmed the EF-18 is one of the 15th Wings jets, which operates multiple squadrons of Hornets at Zaragoza in Spain. And it's in the process of replacing its Hornets fleet, uh, designating the EF-18 for Espana with the Eurofighter Typhoons, although the type will serve to the end of the decade before that process is completed. Um, so they're going to get rid of these aircraft, the EF-18s to replace them with the typhoons. But um, yeah, the pictures online, uh, there's quite a few of them on Twitter, and there's also, I think there's a video as well. Yeah, on yeah Twitter. I'm, just, I'm just trying to get that. If you chat amongst yourselves, I shall hopefully be able to get it, uh, but get it, was, it loaded uh, in a second. We, we obviously see it, see this, you know, every now and again we see these incidents happen with fighter jets where the, the pilot is ejected. And I mean, Armando will know as well as most people will that ejecting at a low level is never a, a best option. A, yeah, it's always a pretty emotional event when your airplane's pointed at the ground and you're ejecting. <laughs> um, when you're pointed up, I think it's probably a little bit better. But, uh, you know, and, and I couldn't really tell from the video um, whether you, you get a chance to play it or not, Matt. I couldn't tell from the video if, if it was a, a high angle of attack uh, with high power. You know, that's that's a pretty um, vulnerable state to have a fighter jet in, right? When, when you're, especially when you're doing air show style maneuvers, you could develop, uh, you know, a disrupted airflow could lead to a compressor stall. Now, the F-18, while it's got two engines, it's more or less uh, centerline thrust, right? So losing one engine wouldn't cause too much of a yawing uh, motion or a controllability issue, as far as I know. But if you're in a high power, high angle of attack situation and you do lose an engine through a compressor stall or intake of a bird or anything like that, that could lead to a pretty significant um, uh, roll and yaw motion that could render the airplane uncontrollable. And then, you know, obviously when you're doing air show practice, you're down low. Uh, and yeah, like we said, probably an emotional event when you eject out of an F-18 and it's pointed at the ground. So I found, then, I've, I've found the video, Armando. It's only nine seconds long, but what I'm going to try doing, I don't know if you can see it. Um, are you able to see the video at all? Yeah. Uh, so I'm gonna. Try, I've I've slowed it right down. So I don't know whether that will give you an idea. Um, there you go. So that's that's the event there. Let me let me restart that. So um, that's the point where I don't know if he's already ejected by that point. Uh, he hasn't. Uh, you can see the. Oh yeah, yeah. He did. He did eject just by that before, point. Yeah, yeah just yeah. before that. Um, I think when the video picks yeah, I think, up... Yeah, I think that's him up there, isn't it? I think you can just see him. Pointed out the ground, yeah. Yeah. And of course, you know, now you're talking about a populated area too. It's just a terrible feeling for the pilot. Yeah. 
Indeed, indeed. Uh, fortunately, nobody hurt with this one. Not, not seriously, anyway. Um, so everybody lives to tell the tale. Um, and as you say, discontinuing the aircraft, uh, presumably not as a result of this. Yeah. No, they're um, just the yeah, they're just changing aircraft. I think because of the age. I think they're, yeah. they're moving on. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, Armando, you've got the next story about an aircraft. Yeah. I think most people would have heard of. I can't at some believe point in time. I can't believe it's already Oshkosh time. <laughs> like we, are, we are just clicking away the years, aren't we? I feel like we were just talking about Oshkosh, <laughs> but it's Oshkosh time again. Uh, B twenty nine Doc. Uh, it's going back to Oshkosh and AirVenture 2023. Uh, they just announced that this uh, summer, this aircraft, which everybody loves to see flying, uh, Doc and Fifi are the only two flying B-29s, um, will be featured at Boeing Plaza. That's the center plaza there at Oshkosh. Um, they are going to be providing uh, aircraft rides in Appleton alongside with – Appleton is right next to Oshkosh, by the way – and uh, alongside EAA's B-25, the Berlin Express. So obviously there's a lot of work that goes into this. Uh, Matt, last week, you and Jeff did a great job of talking about the B-17 airworthiness directive uh, and issue with the wing spar and the wing bolts. Mm. Uh, that uh, that airworthiness, so when, when we wrote the show notes, it was an impending directive when the show aired it was that friday that the faa sent out a mandatory uh, airworthiness directive essentially grounding all of b-17s wow which makes this the b-29 doc and fifi uh it makes them even more important as highlights of that world war ii style heavy bomber you know the lancaster that you guys have flying over there mm. Uh, now that Sally B is not going to be in the air anytime soon, we're just we're just losing a lot of these aircraft uh, to age, and these are the aircraft that generate interest and they they generate love for aviation, especially for young kids. Um, so it's really important. Lots of work, lots of work from volunteers and donations, uh, and it's really cool that that Doc is going to be at Oshkosh this year. Um, so late July, I think it's last week of July. You get a chance to uh, go to Oshkosh, do so, send us in some videos and pictures from anybody that's up there listening to the show because uh, I don't think any of us are able to go this year. I'll be in recurrent training, so. Mm. I mean, I, we. I mean, we did sort of cover it, um, obviously, last week, as you say. But I mean, this hopefully isn't the end of the story for for the B seventeen, though. Hopefully, I don't think it will be. I think they're so important. If in both of our countries' histories, that there will be a lot of engineering that happens. Uh, it's just how to get there, how to get, you have to develop a process, get the process certified, get the fix certified, mm -hmm. and then for replacement parts, somebody has to manufacture them to the appropriate specification, especially if you're going to be doing uh, commercial rides in them. Uh, I mean, it's, uh, I don't, I don't think this is the end of the B-17 uh, for us flying out, you know, because like I said in the show notes, I've seen some amazing things happen up at Basler with uh, craftsmen and the original drawings 
manufacturing parts modern with modern day manufacturing techniques and additive manufacturing, AKA 3D printing. Uh, you can you can create almost anything nowadays, but it's just going to take up a year or two to probably come up with that mm. with that fix that the FAA likes. So yeah, so hopefully, fingers crossed, uh, a fair wind and lots of hard work. Hopefully, this is just a temporary grounding, and we can see the B seventeen. I mean, part of me. Um, sort of like you know as long as they could just fly it i'm not even worried about you know being able to do like commercial flights and stuff with it you know just just to see the thing in the air is enough for me i mean i i, ne I you know i'm never going to be like a passenger or one although that obviously that would be amazing but like you know just just to get it certified so that they can still keep it in the air as far as i'm yeah. concerned in terms of history is enough for me i'd rather that than nothing do you know what i mean i agree with that mm. indeed well, that's pretty much it for the military then this week. Now, I've been putting it off and putting it off and putting it off, but uh, Carlos, you did something that I can only describe that nutty people do on a regular basis, and uh, I've now got the video all loaded up here, he says, trying, and that, now he's lost it. Uh, but uh, no, so I mean, I've I've been trying to avoid I've been trying to avoid this and sort of like derail the show enough so that we don't have to talk about it. But essentially, I've run out of options. Nev, I tried my hardest, I promise. Um, so uh, you've been doing lots of amazing flying with Armando. Obviously, you've been doing some amazing things, meeting up with some some great people, and then for reason I can only best describe as you losing the, I don't know, conscious thought or something like that, <laughs> you decided that you were going to do uh, a very crazy spare of the moment thing and go and do a parachute jump. Yeah, well, it was mainly Dr. Steph's fault, I think. Was she, it? You know, she was, um, obviously I was out with her for that day and she said, well, you know, I'm, I'm going over to Sky North Carolina, I'm going to jump out of a plane a few times you know, you need to go, you need to try it. So I did. So I, I jumped uh, into the car or the Jeep with Steph and we drove over to Skydive Carolina and met the team there, a great team of people. Honestly, if, if you were nervous at all about doing a skydive, these guys are, I think they're trained in making you feel incredibly chilled before the event. So um, I got uh, harnessed up in the uh, stuff you wear and, uh, Got on board the, uh, the skydive plane, zoomed off up to 14,000 feet, and attached myself to Chuck, one of the um, most more senior uh, skydive instructors there at the school. And me and Chuck proceeded to jump out of the aircraft at around about 14,000 feet uh, and hurtle towards, well, towards the ground at um, a fairly good rate of knots. Um, and I have, I, you know what, I have to say, right? It, when you initially jump, it's so noisy. It's incredib incredibly noisy. The noise is unreal um, when you're flying through. But when that chute is pulled and the, the parachute deploys above you, it is this, as if someone switches the mute button on and it is absolutely peaceful and serene up there. At around, I think, about five and a half, six thousand feet. I think it was when you pulled the cord. And the views are stunning. Now, I know you can see all this when you're in a, in a GA aircraft, you know, you can see views like this, but when you are up there underneath a canopy with complete 360 unrestricted view of the earth, it is something else. And I just have to say thanks to all the team 
at Skydive Carolina and also to Dr. Steph as well, who, as we all know, is literally an absolute legend at doing this thing. She actually jumped out just before me at the aircraft on her own, um, you know, doing a, a solo skydive. You weren't nervous. No, I wasn't nervous. You want to do it again? A hundred times. Awesome. <laughs> Let me take a picture with Chuck. How was Chuck? Let me take a picture with two of you. Take a jump with us at Skyline. Boom, boom. There we go. So, uh, yeah, there you go. Uh, well, I, I, I guess congratulations are in order. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I guess. Uh, it's just like... <laughs> I'd, yeah, I don't really know what to do with it. I mean, you, you've done you've done a crazy thing. Well done, you. Pat you on the back, and uh, yeah, lovely. Um, sorry, but you could warm up to the idea as well. You could do. Uh, no, that's not going to happen. No, uh, the, the, I... the only way that would take place, Armando, and I'm not even joking when I say the only way this would that would happen yeah. is 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 if it was a special pint of milk that I was given. That's the only <laughs> way. That 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 would happen in in my world. It's I believe you would. Have... Team would, would, would okay. I think, I think I have a plan. We just shouldn't tell Matt about it. But if we do the thing that the guy did, that just got a he's uh, going to spend like twenty years in jail for crashing his Taylor craft. Anyway, so, it is four uh, minutes to the end of the program. Thank you very much to everyone who <laughs> has joined us. It's time to start wrapping up. Of course, uh, now guys. Uh, so Carlos, when are you <laughs> heading home? When when's the end of the trip? Uh, tomorrow, unfortunately. Yeah, I'm flying uh, flying back tomorrow evening here from Charlotte with good old American Airlines. Very good, very good. Well, as I say, it's been an amazing time. I'm sure we'll hear lots more stories about it. Uh, uh, much planned for your last couple of nights? Well, that, well we're going to be uh, having some drinks this evening. Right, okay, yeah. very good. Like... I put a pretty dent in, into my bar. Right. Um, but no, actually, we were gonna we're gonna do some skydiving, not actual skydiving. But I was gonna take Carlos up to the our, my skydive place tomorrow morning. But the weather, I think we've already done a weather cancel. The yeah. winds in the morning are gonna be up in the twenties and the maybe even almost thirties, uh, and then an overcast layer at, at eleven o'clock. So I think we're gonna abandon the skydive idea for tomorrow and probably just go get donuts in the morning and. Uh, yeah. Sounds amazing. Now, uh, Nev, you've had uh, what I can only describe as one hell of a week. Bless you. Uh, you're absolutely exhausted. Um, what What's on the agenda for you this week? Luckily, not very much, I'm pleased to say, because I'm not going to go anywhere next week. Uh, off to Sweden the week after, though. But uh, just before we go, mm, yes. um, don't forget we've still got this uh, lovely book oh, to yes. give away, Bolts from the Blue uh, by Sir Richard Johns. Um, and the question which we still need an answer to, uh, we've had a couple of entries come in, but there's, there's more to come, I think. Uh, the question is, what date did Sir Richard Johns start his flying career as a cadet? at RAF Cranwell. It's a very specific date, obviously. So mm. uh, a question again, what date did Sir Richard Johns start his flying career as a cadet at RAF Cranwell? Uh, next week, we'll read out the uh, answer and we'll pick a name out of the hat. 
and I shall go down to the post office and send this to the lucky winner. It's a lovely looking book, to be fair. And uh, also, uh, we don't mind, by the way. Google is your friend on this one. If you don't know, I'm pretty sure Google will tell you. So uh, don't be afraid. Uh, you can win yourself a great book. It is a good read, by the way. Uh, so it's a great prize up for grabs on this one. Get your entries in podcast at com. That's podcast at plaintalkinguk.com. Uh, while we're doing that, actually, don't forget, of course, our social media. Uh, you can search all our platforms. Platforms. That's Facebook, uh, Twitter and Instagram for Plain Talking UK. Those are all the details that you'll find there. As I say, that email address that I mentioned, it's podcast at plaintalkinguk.com. That's podcast at plaintalkinguk.com. We've also got our WhatsApp number, which Carlos is going to be having on his phone very soon. So make sure it's in there. His number is uh, going to be plus four four seven five seven two two four nine one six six. That's plus four four seven five five seven two two four nine one six six and of course if you want to find out more information about us or how you can get in touch with the show or how you can do all sorts of manner of things the details you need uh, to do with the show it is our website www.plaintalkinguk.com that's www.plaintalkinguk.com so i guess as they're out in the states and armando has been very very tolerant of looking after carlos for him uh, I guess we should leave our final words to them. You've only got a minute, just saying, okay? <laughs> well, I'm going to say thank you to Armando for looking after me for the last week. It has been an absolutely epic visit. I couldn't have honestly wished for a better week here, weather-wise and company-wise, with Armando and the family as well. It's been fantastic. So thank you, Armando, for giving me what has probably been one of the most epic holidays I've ever had. I wish I could do this for every single one of our hosts and listeners to have a, a week filled with aviation of all different kinds. But I guess we'll just have to listen to the show. Indeed, indeed. Uh, Nev, uh, we'll leave the final word with you, shall we? Yes, well, thanks very much indeed for watching and listening today. Thanks to the guys over in the US near Charlotte. Uh, been absolutely great to see you guys and all the stuff you've been doing have a great week and a great great weekend and if you're in the uk or some parts of europe it is a bank holiday weekend so uh, all the best for a nice relaxing one and the weather looks nice here too so that'd be great and uh, take care see you next week bye for now bye bye everyone bye, -bye. bye, -bye.